0: section 5 of the rover this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org recording by stephen r gagan the rover by joseph conrad chapter 5 as payroll and the lieutenant had surmised from the report of the gun the english ship which the evening before was lying in yare roads had got under way after dark The light airs had taken her as far as the petite passe in the early part of the night, and then had abandoned her to the breathless moonlight in which, bereft of all motion, she looked more like a white monument of stone dwarfed by the darkly masses of land on either hand than a fabric famed for its swiftness in attack or in flight. Her captain was a man of about forty, with clean-shaven, full cheeks, and mobile thin lips which he had a trick of compressing mysteriously before he spoke, and sometimes also at the end of his speeches. He was alert in his movements and nocturnal in his habits. Directly he found that the calm had taken complete possession of the night and was going to last for hours. Captain Vincent assumed his favorite attitude of leaning over the rail. It was then sometime after midnight, and in the pervading stillness the moon, riding on a speckless sky, seemed to pour her enchantment on an uninhabited planet. Captain Vincent did not mind the moon very much. Of course it made his ship visible from both sides of the Petit Passé, but after nearly a year of constant service in command of the extreme lookout ship of Admiral Nelson's blockading fleet, he knew the emplacement of almost every gun on the shore defenses. Where the breeze had left him, he was safe from the biggest gun of the few that were mounted on Porquerolles. On the Guienne side of the pass, he knew for certain there was not even a pop-gun mounted anywhere. His long familiarity with that part of the coast had imbued him with the belief that he knew the habits of its population thoroughly. The gleams of light in their houses went out very early, and Captain Vincent felt convinced that they were all in their beds, including the governors of the batteries who belonged to the local militia. Their interest in the movements of His Majesty's 22 gun sloop Amelia had grown stale by custom. She never interfered with their private affairs and allowed the small coasting craft to go to and fro unmolested. They would have wondered if she had been more than two days away. Captain Vincent used to say grimly that they are his roadstead had become like a second home to him. For an hour or so, Captain Vincent mused a bit on his real home, on matters of service and other unrelated things. Then, getting into motion in a very wide-awake manner, he superintended himself the dispatch of that boat, the existence of which had been acutely surmised by Lieutenant Riel, was, as a matter of no doubt whatever, to old payroll. As to her mission, it had nothing to do with catching fish for the captain's breakfast. It was the captain's own gig, a very fast-pulling boat, "'She was already alongside with her crew and her "'when the officer who was going in charge "'was beckoned by the captain. "'He had a cutlass at his side "'and a brace of pistols in his belt, "'and there was a business-like air about him "'that showed he had been on such service before. "'This calm will last a good many hours,' said the captain. "'In this tideless sea you are certain "'to find the ship very much where she is now, "'but closer inshore. "'The the attraction of land, you know. "'Yes, sir, the land does attract.' "'Yes, well, she may be allowed to put her side against any of these rocks, "'there would be no more danger than alongside a quay with a sea like this. "'Just look at the water in the pass, Mr. Bolt, like the floor of a ballroom. "'Pull close along shore when you return. I'll expect you back at dawn.' "'Captain Vincent paused suddenly. "'A doubt crossed his mind as to the wisdom of this nocturnal expedition. "'The hammerhead of the peninsula, with its sea face invisible from both sides of the coast, "'was an ideal spot for a secret landing. "'It's lonely character.' "'appealed to his imagination, "'which in the first instance had been stimulated "'by a chance remark of Mr. Bolt himself. "'The fact was that the week before, "'when the Amelia was cruising off the peninsula, "'Bolt, looking at the coast, "'mentioned that he knew that part of it very well. "'He had actually been ashore there a good many years ago "'while serving with Lord Howe's fleet. "'He described the nature of the path, "'the aspect of the little village on the reverse slope, "'and had much to say about a certain farmhouse "'where he had been more than once.' He had even stayed for twenty-four hours at a time on more than one occasion. This had aroused Captain Visit's curiosity. He sent for Bolt and had a long conversation with him. He listened with great interest to Bolt's story, how one day a man was seen from the deck of the ship in which Bolt was serving then, waving a white sheet or a tablecloth amongst the rocks at the water's edge. It might have been a trap, but as the man seemed alone and the shore was within range of the ship's gun, a boat was sent to take him off. And that, sir, Bolt pursued impressively, was, I verily believe, the very first communication that Lord Howe had from the royalists in Toulon. Afterwards, Bolt described to Captain Vincent the meetings of the Toulon royalists with the officers of the fleet. From the back of the farm, he, Bolt himself, had often watched for hours the entrance of the Toulon harbor on the lookout for the boat bringing over the royal emissaries. Then he would make an agreed signal to an advanced squadron, and some English officers would land on their side and meet the Frenchmen at the farmhouse. It was as simple as that. The people of the farmhouse, husband and wife, were well-to-do, good class altogether, and staunch royalists. He had got to know them very well. Captain Vincent wondered whether the same people were still living there. Bolt could see no reason why they shouldn't be. It wasn't more than ten years ago, and they were by no means an old couple. As far as he could make out, the farm was their own property. He, Bolt, knew only very few French words at the time. It was much later after he had been made a prisoner and kept inland in France till the Peace of Amiens that he had picked up a smattering of the lingo. His captivity had done away with his feeble chance of promotion, he could not help remarking. Bolt was a master's mate still. Captain Vincent, in common with a good many officers of all ranks in Lord Nelson's fleet, had his misgivings about the system of distant blockade from which the Admiral apparently would not depart. Yet one could not blame Admiral Lelson. Everyone in the fleet understood that what was in his mind was the destruction of the enemy. If the enemy were closely blockaded, he would never come out to be destroyed. On the other hand, it was clear that as things were conducted, the French had too many chances left to them to slip out unobserved and vanish from all human knowledge for months. Those possibilities were a constant worry to Captain Vincent, who had thrown himself with the ardor of passion into the special duty with which he was entrusted. "'Oh, for a pair of eyes fastened night and day "'on the entrance of the harbor of Toulon! "'Oh, for the power to look at the very state of French ships "'and into the very secrets of French mines!' "'But he had said nothing of this to Bolt. "'He only observed that the character of the French government was changed "'and that the mind of the royalist people in the farmhouse might have changed too "'since they had got back the exercise of their religion. "'Bolt's answer was that he had had a lot to do with the royalists "'in his time on board Lord Howe's fleet, both before and after Toulon was evacuated. All sorts, men and women, barbers and noblemen, sailors and tradesmen, almost every kind of royalist one could think of, and his opinion was that a royalist never changed. As to the place itself, he only wished the captain had seen it. It was the sort of spot that nothing could change. He made bold to say that it would be just the same a hundred years hence. The earnestness of his officer caused Captain Vincent to look hard at him. He was a man of about his own age. while Vincent was comparatively a young captain, Bolt was an old master's mate. Each understood the other perfectly. Captain Vincent fidgeted for a while and then observed abstractedly that he was not a man to put a noose around a dog's neck, let alone a good seaman's. This cryptic pronouncement caused no wonder to appear in Bolt's attentive gaze. He only became a little thoughtful before he said in the same abstract tone that an officer in uniform was not likely to be hanged for a spy. THE SERVICE WAS RISKY, OF COURSE. IT WAS NECESSARY FOR ITS SUCCESS THAT, ASSUMING THE SAME PEOPLE WERE THERE, IT SHOULD BE UNDERTAKEN BY A MAN WELL KNOWN TO THE INHABITANTS. THEN HE ADDED THAT HE WAS CERTAIN OF BEING RECOGNIZED, AND WHILE HE ENLARGED ON THE EXTREMELY GOOD TERMS HE HAD BEEN ON WITH THE OWNERS OF THE FARM, ESPECIALLY THE FARMER'S WIFE, A COMELY MOTHERLY WOMAN WHO HAD BEEN VERY KIND TO HIM, AND HAD ALL HER WITS ABOUT HER. CAPTAIN VINCENT LOOKING AT THE MASTER'S mate Bushy's WHISKERS, thought that these in themselves were enough to ensure recognition. This impression was so strong that he had asked point blank, You haven't altered the growth on the hair on your face, mister Bolt, since then? There was such a touch of indignation in Bolt's negative reply, for he was proud of his whiskers, he declared he was ready to take the most desperate chances for the service of his king and country. Captain Vincent added, For the sake of Lord Nelson, too. One understood well what his lordship wished to bring about by that blockade at sixty leagues off he was talking to a sailor and there was no need to say any more did bolt think that he could persuade these people to conceal him in their house on that lonely shore end of the peninsula for some considerable time bolt thought it was the easiest thing in the world he would simply go up there and renew his old acquaintance but he did not mean to do that in a reckless manner it would have to be done at night when of course there would be no one about he would land just where he used to before wrapped up in a mediterranean sailor's cloak he had one of his own over his uniform, and simply go straight to the door at which he would knock. Ten to one, the farmer himself would come down to open it. He knew enough French by now he hoped to persuade these people to conceal him in some room having a view in the right direction. And there he would stick day after day on the watch, taking a little exercise in the middle of the night, ready to live on mere bread and water if necessary, so as not to arouse suspicion amongst the farmhands. And who knows if, with the farmer's help, he could not get some news of what was going on actually within the port. Then from time to time he could go down in the dead of night, signal to the ship, and make his report. Bolt expressed the hope that the Amelia would remain as much as possible in sight of the coast. It would cheer him up to see her about. Captain Vincent naturally assented. He pointed out to Bolt, however, that his post would become very important exactly when the ship had been chased away or driven by the weather off her station, as could very easily happen. You would then be the eyes of Lord Nelson's fleet, Mr. Bolt. Think of that, the actual eyes of Lord Nelson's fleet. After dispatching his officer, Captain Vincent spent the night on deck. The break of day came at last, much paler than the moonlight which it replaced, and still no boat. Again Captain Vincent asked himself if he had not acted indiscreetly. Impenetrable and looking as fresh as if he had just come up on deck, he argued the point with himself till the rising sun clearing the ridge of the Paracoles island, flashed its level rays upon his ship with her dew-darkened sails and dripping rigging he roused himself then to tell his first lieutenant to get the boats out to tow the ship away from the shore the report of the gun he ordered to be fired expressed simply his irritation the amelia pointing towards the middle of the passe was moving at a snail's pace behind her string of boats minutes passed and then suddenly captain vincent perceived his boat pulling back in shore according to orders when nearly abreast of the ship, she darted away, making for her side. Mr. Bolt clambered on board alone, ordering the gig to go ahead with the help with the towing. Captain Vincent, standing apart on the quarterdeck, received him with a grimly questioning look. Mr. Bolt's first word were to the effect that he believed the confounded spot to be bewitched. Then he glanced at the group of officers on the other side of the quarterdeck. Captain Vincent led the way to his cabin. There he turned and looked at his officer, who, with an air of distraction, mumbled, there are night-walkers there. Come, Bolt, what the devil have you seen? Did you get near the house at all? I got within twenty yards of the door, sir, said Bolt, and encouraged by the captain's much less ferocious. Well? began his tale. He did not pull up to the path which he knew, but to a little bit of beach on which he told his men to haul up the boat and wait for him. The beach was concealed by a thick growth of bushes on the landward side and by some rocks from the sea. Then he went to what he called the ravine, still avoiding the path, so that, as a matter of fact, he made his way up on his hands and knees mostly, very carefully and slowly amongst the loose stones, till, by holding on to a bush, he brought his eyes on a level with the piece of flat ground in front of the farmhouse. The familiar aspect of the buildings, totally unchanged from the time when he had played his part in what appeared as the most successful operation at the beginning of the war, inspired Bolt with great confidence in the success of his present enterprise, vague as it was. The great charm of which lay, no doubt, in mental association with his younger years. Nothing seemed easier than to stride across the forty yards of open ground and rouse the farmer whom he remembered so well. The well to do man, a grave, sagacious royalist in his humble way, certainly in Bolt's view, no traitor to his country, and preserving so well his dignity in ambiguous circumstances. To Bolt's simple vision, neither the man nor his wife could have changed. In view of Arlette's parents, Bolt was influenced by the consciousness of there having been no change in himself. He was the same Jack Bolt, and everything around him was the same, as if he had left the spot only yesterday. Already he saw himself in the kitchen, which he knew so well, seated by the light of a single candle before a glass of wine, and talking his best French to that worthy farmer of sound principles. The whole thing was as well as done. He imagined himself a secret inmate of that building, closely confided indeed, but sustained by the possible great results of his watchfulness, in many ways more comfortable than aboard the Amelia, and with a glorious conscience that he was, in Captain Vincent's phrase, the actual physical eyes of the fleet. He didn't, of course, talk of his private feelings to Captain Vincent. All those thoughts and emotions were compressed in a space of not much more than a minute or two, while holding on with one hand to his bush and having a good foothold for one of his feet he indulged in that pleasant anticipatory sense of success. In the old days, the farmer's wife used to be a light sleeper. The farmhands, which he remembered, lived in the village, or were distributed in stables and outhouses. It did not give him any concern. He wouldn't need to knock heavily. He pictured himself the farmer's wife sitting up in bed, listening, then rousing her husband, who, as likely as not, would take the gun standing against the dresser downstairs and come to the door. And everything would be all right, But perhaps, yes, it was just as likely the farmer would simply open the window and hold a parley. That really was most likely. Naturally, in his place, Bolt felt he would do the very thing. Yes, that was what a man in a lonely house in the middle of the night would do, most naturally. And he imagined himself whispering mysteriously his answers up the wall to the obvious questions, Ami? Bolt? Au moi Viva la Roy, Things of that sort and in sequence to the vivid images it occurred to Bolt that the best thing he could do would be to throw some small stones against the window shutter, a sort of sound most likely to rouse a light sleeper. He wasn't quite sure which window on the floor above the ground floor was that of those people's bedroom, but there were anyhow only three of them. In a moment he would have sprung up from his foothold onto the level if, rising his eyes for another look at the front of the house, he had not perceived that one of the windows was already open. How he could have failed to notice... "'that before he couldn't explain. "'He confessed to Captain Vincent "'in the course of his narrative that "'this open window, sir, checked me dead. "'In fact, sir, it shook my confidence, "'for, as you know, sir, "'that no native of these parts "'would dream of sleeping with his window open. "'It struck me that there was something wrong there, "'and I remained where I was. "'That fascination of repose, "'of secretive friendliness, "'which houses present at night, was gone. "'By the power of an open window, "'a black square in the moonlighted wall,' The farmhouse took on the aspect of a man-trap. Bolt assured Captain Vincent that the window would not have stopped him. He would have gone on all the same, though with an uncertain mind. But while he was thinking it out, there glided without a sound before his, his resolute eyes, from somewhere a white vision, a woman. He could see her black hair flowing down her back, a woman whom anybody would have excused for taking for a ghost. I won't say that she flows my blood, sir, but she made me cold all over for a moment. Lots of people have seen ghosts, at least they say so, and I have an open mind about that. She was a weird thing to look at in the moonlight. She did not act like a sleepwalker either. If she had not come out of a grave, then she had jumped out of bed. But when she stole back and hid herself around the corner of the house, I knew she was not a ghost. She couldn't have seen me. There she stood in the black shadow, watching for something, or waiting for somebody, added Bolton in a grim tone. She looked crazy, he conceded charitably. One thing was clear to him, there had been changes in that farmhouse since his time. Bolt resented them, as if that time had only been last week. The woman concealed round the corner remained in his full view, watchful, as if only waiting for him to show himself in the open, to run off screeching and rouse all the countryside. Bolt came quickly to the conclusion that he must withdraw from the slope. lowering himself from his first position, he had the misfortune to dislodge a stone. This circumstance precipitated his retreat. In a very few minutes, he found himself by the shore. He paused to listen. Above him, up the ravine, and all around, amongst the rocks, everything was perfectly still. He walked along in the direction of his boat. There was nothing far it but to get away quietly, and perhaps... Yes, Mr. Bolt, I fear we shall have to give up your plan, interrupted Captain Vincent at that point. Bolt's assent came reluctantly, and then he braced himself to confess that this was not the worst. Before the astonished face of Captain Vincent He hastened to blurt it out. He was very sorry, but could no way account for it. But he had lost a man. Captain Vincent seemed unable to believe his ears. What do you say? Lost a man out of my boat's crew? He was profoundly shocked. Boat was correspondingly distressed. He narrated that shortly after he had left them, the seamen had heard, or imagined they had heard, some faint and peculiar noises somewhere within the cove. The coxswain sent one of the men, the oldest of the boat's crew, along the shore to ascertain whether their boat hauled on the beach could be seen from the other side of the cove. The man, it was Simmons, departed, crawling on his hands and knees to make the circuit, and, well, he had not returned. This was really the reason why the boat was so late in getting back to the ship. Of course, Bolt did not like to give up the man. It was inconceivable that Simmons should have deserted. He had left his cutlass behind and was completely unarmed, but he had been suddenly pounced upon... He surely would have been able to let out a yell that could have been heard all over the cove, but till daybreak a profound stillness, at which it seemed a whisper could have been heard for miles, had reigned over the coast. It was as if Simmons had been spirited away by some supernatural means, without a scuffle, without a cry. For it was inconceivable that he should have ventured inland and got captured there. It was equally inconceivable that there should have been "'On that particular night, men ready to pounce upon Simmons "'and knock him on the head so neatly "'as to not let him give a groan, even.' "'Captain Vincent said, "'All this is very fantastical, Mr. Bolt, "'and compressed his lips firmly for a moment before he continued. "'But not much more than your woman. "'I suppose you did see something real. "'I tell you, sir, she stood there in the full, full moonlight "'for ten minutes within a stone's throw of me,' "'protested Bolt, with a sort of desperation. "'She seemed to have jumped out of bed only to look at the house.' "'If she had a petticoat over her night shift, that was all. "'Her back was to me. "'When she moved away, I could not make out her face properly. "'Then she went to stand in the shadow of the house.' "'On the watch,' suggested Captain Vincent. "'Looked like it, sir,' confessed Bolt. "'So there must have been somebody about,' concluded Captain Vincent with assurance. "'Bolt murmured a reluctant. "'Must have been. "'He had expected to get into enormous trouble over this affair "'and was much relieved by the captain's quiet attitude.' "'I hope, sir, you approve of my conduct "'in not attempting to look for Simmons at once.' "'Yes, you acted prudently by not advancing inland,' said the captain. "'I was afraid of spoiling our chances to carry out your plan, sir, "'by disclosing our presence on shore, "'and that could not have been avoided. "'Moreover, we were only five men in all, and not properly armed.' "'The plan has gone down before your nightwalker, Mr. Bolt,' "'Captain Vincent declared dryly. "'But we must try to find out what has become of our man "'if it can be done without risking too much.' By landing a large party this very next night we could surround the house, Bolt suggested. If we find friends there, well and good, if enemies, then we could carry off some of them to on board to for exchange, perhaps. I am almost sorry I did not go back and kidnap that wench, whoever she was, he added recklessly. Ah, if it had only been a man. No doubt there was a man not very far off, said Captain Vincent equitably. That will do, Mr. Bolt. You had better go now and get some rest. Bolt was glad to obey, for he was tired and hungry after his dismal failure. What vexed him most was its absurdity. Captain Vincent, though, too, had passed a sleepless night, felt too restless to remain below, he followed his officer on deck. End of chapter 5